0: Good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us this morning here at Lighthouse Discipleship Center. My name is Dave Ebert, and we're going to be continuing our teaching this morning on uh, being established in His Righteousness. This will be the conclusion of the series. Um, Just before we get into that, let me just remind you that all of our teachings are archived on our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org, as well as our YouTube channel, Lighthouse Discipleship Center. And uh, we also want to say thank you to all those who have partnered with us for their tithes and their offerings. And uh, we, uh, we, and many people have asked, how do you do so? Well, you can simply go to our website at LighthouseDiscipleship.org, go to our, our give page, and you can give from anywhere in the world. If you'd rather send us a check, you can simply go on the footer of every page. You can find our mailing address, and you make those checks payable to Lighthouse Discipleship Center. If you're in the U.S. Just so you know that all of your tax donations are uh, tax deductible, as we are 51 c 3 And your last opportunity to give for the 2021 tax year will be on uh, the 31st of December. And so uh, just keep that in mind. Okay? Um, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and be jumping right into our message this morning. I do want to make one announcement, though. Next week, sometime, some teachers are doing a Christmas service this week. We're going to do ours next week on the 26th of December. That will be the day after Christmas. And my message for that will be entitled, Great Tidings of Great Joy. And so uh, we'll be referring to that later on in our uh, next week. So, throughout this week. Some of you have also asked, why have we not had our midweek Bible studies uh, on Sunday night and Wednesday night? And we apologize, but we have taken a a brief pause. We are going to resume our Sunday night uh, coming in January. Uh, We'll take the the night off and we'll take next week off. We've just been extremely busy, Sherry and I, and so we've just taken a little sabbatical, semi-sabbatical. We have not canceled Sunday mornings, but we have taken our nights off just so we can have a debrief right now. And so we will resume that in January on Sunday night. Wednesday night we're still going to take a pause for a 2 further notice until we can regain some sanity in our schedule. So uh, we apologize for that, but uh, thank you for your understanding in that. So we'll, we'll talk more about that uh, in a couple of weeks. So like I said, I want to get into our teaching this morning. I have a lot to cover. This is our last three-week uh, lesson on this. If I, for some reason I don't finish it all, I will resume it in two weeks from now. And we'll finish it there, but let me just give a brief recap about what we've been talking about so far in this series. In week one, we talked about the unity of faith. We talked about how there's one message, the gospel, and the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. In week two, which is kind of has the same title as our overall title, being established in righteousness, we talked. We went a little more in depth what righteousness is. For he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous God in him, Second Corinthians five twenty one. Week three we talked about being established in his love. <coughs> because John says in first John four ten, this is love, not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation of our sin. That propitiation of our sin, Paul echoes in Romans chapter three, which we'll cover some more today, which he talks about uh, this righteous this propitiation is our righteousness. And so we talked about that in week three. Because all these things are true that we talked about weeks 1, 2, and 3, we, we talked about, <coughs> excuse me, we talked about, uh, week 4, We titled, Behold. Behold means to see with the mind. It means to see, to look, to listen. Because we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, there's something that we need to behold. We need to behold who we are. We're going to be talking more about that aspect this morning. Okay? Okay. Uh, then week five, we talked about a subtle beguilement. The enemy, the same way that he beguiled Eve, the, the bride of the first Adam, he ha- he's desiring to beguile the bride of the second Adam or the last Adam, which is Jesus. We are the bride of the last Adam. in the same way that he beguiled Eve, he wants to beguile us and he is trying to do that and we've we spent a lot of time on this on week five, also in week seven, which I'll we'll get to in just a moment. And then week six, in the middle between these two, to week five and week seven, we talked about how the testimony of Scripture, not all Scripture, is powerful for God, powerful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, the man of God might be thoroughly equipped in every good work. We, we, we highlighted, too, in this lesson that when the word Scripture is used by Paul, by Jesus, and other New Testament writers, they were referring to the Old Testament. Okay? Now, why did they refer to the Old Testament? Because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were writing it, or saying it, or quoting it. Okay? Jesus didn't write any books. Uh, He he is the Word. But at the same point in time, we have four uh, gospel writers Matthew, uh, Mark, and Luke, and John, who wrote four accounts of what Jesus did say. Uh, Even Luke records some more in the book of Acts. And, uh, and Paul quotes them in some of his other books, like Corinthians and whatnot, of just a few little quotes. And then even John quoted some more in the book of Revelation about what Jesus did say. Okay? But anytime time they use the word Scripture in the New Testament, I believe, you believe, most of you believe that the New Testament is Scripture. Okay? So that's not wrong. But when they use the word Scripture, they're referring to the Old Testament. In other words, they use the Old Testament to preach the Gospel. Jesus said it this way in John five thirty nine: You search the Scriptures... He's talking about the Old Testament, for well, they testify of me. I'm paraphrasing, but the, if, you know, <coughs> if the gospel, the message we're hearing is not testifying of Jesus, we're hearing the wrong message. And if we're hearing the wrong message, we're going to be beguiled, going backwards. Or we're going to be blinded. And we talked about last week, in week seven, we talked about how the Old Testament, can, the law specifically, can blind our hearts and our minds from receiving the truth. And there's only one way to remove this veil, this blinder, and that is to preach to Christ. Okay? I'm not going to rehash any of these lessons. You're going to have to look at our archives to go into this. But week eight, I have a lot to cover this morning as we can kind of conclude this message. And I've titled it, But Now. Because everything I said the last seven weeks, out of not we studied, there's something that's supposed to be happening now. Jesus is coming soon. Very soon. But there's something that we are supposed to be occupied with until he comes. There's something that's supposed to be happening now. And that's what I want to focus on. Okay? Tomorrow will take care of itself, but we need to know who we are now so we can operate in that now. Okay? When's now? Now. Now is not yesterday. And now is not tomorrow. Now tomorrow we might do it too. But let's focus on today. For today is the day of salvation. Okay? So let's go to our main text that we're going to have for this morning. And it's from Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 20. And we're not going to rehash all this in in detail, uh, but I'll explain that in just a moment. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh can be justified in sight. I've dealt with that at length in the last seven weeks. Okay? For by the law is the knowledge of sin. we dealt with that as well. But now, again, when's now? Now is now. Now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, we dealt with that in week six, is revealed being witnessed by the law of the prophets. The law of the prophets is scripture, the Old Testament, that's what I talked about in week six. Well, we're going to focus this morning on this, but now. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is, re- <coughs> is revealed. I'm not going to talk so much about the law this morning. We dealt with that the last seven weeks, Okay. But now, the righteousness of God is revealed. The, the part that's, uh, if you can see it in yellow, is actually in yellow. But now, the righteousness of God is revealed. Yes, the part, apart, apart from the law, is included in the sentence, but we dealt with that already. Let me talk about what is revealed. Let me use the same sentence, verse 21, in the King James. The New King James says, but now the righteousness of God is revealed. The King James says it this way, but now the righteous God without the law is manifested. One, one translation said it's revealed, another one said it's manifested. And so, in other words, there's something that's supposed to be manifesting now. There's something that's supposed to be revealed now. And it's revealed apart from the law, it's given witness by the law. The law, the Old, the Old Testament, gives testimony to this. But there's something that we are supposed to be manifesting and something that's supposed to be revealed now. Now, in our first week, our very first verse that we used in this entire series was from Isaiah 52, verse 7. It says, How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. The gospel is defined as good news. So, (coughs) excuse me, we can change the word out here. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of those who bring the gospel. Who proclaims peace? Who brings bad tidings and good things? Who proclaims salvation? And who says, to Zion, His church, His bride, His people, Your God reigns." We're talking about, but now, okay? I'm going to keep saying that that phrase over and over again because that's the title of our lesson this morning. Now, we, the church. Zion, his people, we're supposed to be preaching and proclaiming the gospel. Now, we are supposed to be proclaiming his peace. We're getting ready to celebrate Christmas. Uh, this great peace, uh, uh, peace unto your goodwill towards man. Okay? He's our prince of peace. Okay? We're supposed to be proclaiming salvation. Okay, We're supposed to be proclaiming, now, we're supposed to be declaring to Zion, your God reign. But I thought death reigned. I thought sin reigns. Well, Paul says it this way: For by the one man Adam offense, death did reign through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness—that's what we're talking about—will reign through, through life, through light, through the one, Jesus Christ. Death once reigned. It reigned from Adam to Jesus. Death reigned. But Isaiah says, Your covenant with death has been annulled. And your agreement with Sheol, or hell, will not stand. Death has been annulled. Much more. We shall reign in life, having received the abundance of grace, and having received the gift of righteousness. Okay? And so, we're talking about much more. <coughs> Let me go back real quick. Yes, one death once reigned, but now, much more, we who have received the gift of righteousness, the abundance of grace, and have received the gift of righteousness, we shall reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Yes, death once reigned, but now, much more. The death is, has sin been ugly? Has sin done havoc? Has sin done hell in our many of our lives? Through sickness, through strife, through, through bitterness, through wars and rumors of war, and evil of all kinds? Much more. Did death reign? Yes. But much more. Now, much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift, it's a gift. You can't earn it. It's a gift. If I give you a Christmas present, it's not because you earned it. If you earned it, you are my employee. And I don't have any employees. Okay? And so, so the get the righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. You're supposed to reign, but now, in this life. Through the one Jesus Christ. Okay? Let's go back to the verse. But now, the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed. We also talked about this in our first lesson. from first, Corinthians one seventeen. Paul said of his own ministry, for Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, that the cross of Christ should be made of none effect, but the preaching of the cross to them that perish. Let me read it again. For the preaching of the cross to them that perish foolishness, but to us which are saved is the power of God. <coughs> I agree with Paul that I'm not called. There's a lot of things I can do as a pastor. There's a lot of things I can do as a minister, but God and has called me to now preach the gospel. Okay? I'm not gonna preach on anything else in this church. This time is short. People need to hear the gospel. And the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Romans 1, 16 and 17. We're supposed to preach now the gospel of Christ. If you have a word for me, if it's not having nothing to do with the gospel, I don't want to hear it. No disrespect but I don't want to hear it. I I need to hear about Jesus. I need to hear the gospel. I'm not saying we can't encourage one another or something like that. I'm not discounting that. I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but I want to hear Jesus. What else is going to save people? What else is going to bless people? What other message do we really have that's more important than hearing about the gospel of Jesus? We're supposed to be in the gospel. And the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. Okay? I keep saying it, but let's read it again. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God, that's salvation, to everyone that believeth. for therein is the righteousness of God revealed. If you're not revealing the righteous God, you're not preaching the gospel. Okay? Because that's what the gospel reveals. Okay? If you don't know the gospel, you don't know righteousness. If you don't know righteousness, you don't know the gospel. Okay? And it reveals it from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by his faith. We the just, we the righteous, we live by faith. And we can't have faith if the gospel doesn't reveal righteousness, because the gospel is revealing righteousness from faith to faith. And if we don't have faith, we don't have we haven't heard the gospel because we haven't heard righteousness. It's a righteous God by faith. The just live by faith. And if we're supposed to live now. And we haven't heard the gospel of righteousness, we have nothing to live by. It foils everything. And so we live, we just live by our faith. Where does faith come from? The word of God. The gospel that reveals the righteousness of God from faith to faith. The gospel is the power of God. It's not could be, should be. It's one of the aspects. It is the power of God. And I love the King James because it says, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Salvation, both the Hebrew and the Greek, it means wholeness. It means healing. It means prosperity. It means deliverance. If you need, whatever you need from God, whatever your prayer request is, is included in the salvation. And the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How do you expect to get your prayers answered if you are not going to experience salvation? Now, today is a day of salvation. We're talking about, but now, today is a day of salvation. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. And we're talking about this morning, but now. Okay? Now, when I normally teach this, I normally go a different direction right here. But, over the last several weeks, I've been stirring... There's something I wanted to add on to this whole teaching that I'm going to include here. So I'm going to uh, detour from my normal way of teaching some of this, and I'm going to plug in something here that I think is even more powerful. And it's going to come back right back into the but now, Okay, so bear with me. I'm also going to tie in something that we taught earlier this year when we talked about the Holy Spirit and we talked about the anointing. Right, there's some references I'm going to refer to here, that are going to tie into this message, but now, okay. So let's go real quick to Luke chapter three, and we're at the towards the end of the chapter. This is where Jesus is being baptized. This is where Jesus is starting his ministry, okay. And I'm not going to read all the context, but I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to kind of pick some things here, and that's what we did when we talked about the anointing. Which is what we did when we talked about the Holy Spirit earlier this year. Okay? And when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open. <coughs> Excuse me, And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And this is the phrase I want to focus on just for a moment. And a voice came from heaven, which said, You are my beloved Son, and you I am well pleased. God announced from heaven to all who heard, heard you are my beloved son, and who I am well pleased. This is key, and we're gonna come back to this. The very next verse, which is chapter four, then Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit, <coughs> excuse me, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Okay, and in the wilderness there was three temptations from Satan. Two of those temptations, the devil prefaced it by saying, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, such and such. He said it again, verse 9, with, with the third temptation. He said it with the first one, and he said it with the third temptation. He prefaced the temptation with, if you are. Why did he do that? Because the devil heard God speak over Jesus. You are my beloved son, and who you well pleased. And so in one sense, just like in the garden, did God really say to Eve? The devil came to Jesus and said, if you really are the son of God, because how where did, he, where did the devil get that information? God just pronounced it. <laughs> okay? The devil heard God speak over Jesus. And then Jesus goes into the wilderness with his identity, that he, God's beloved son, who he's well pleased, revealed to him from God. And Jesus also goes into the wilderness anointed with the Holy Spirit, with power. And with his identity and power, of the anointing that we talked about earlier this year of the Holy Spirit, he defeats the devil's temptations. There is nothing the devil can do or could have done to get Jesus off the word that was spoken to him by his father. The devil was able to be- beguile Eve, but he was not being able to beguile Jesus off of what God, his father, spoke to him. In other words, the devil is there's nothing the devil can do to get Jesus off the, the word. Even quoting scripture, the devil even quotes scripture. The devil could not get Jesus off of his identity. Okay, because he he asked, "Why?" Even even the devil quote scripture, but he started by, "If you are the son of God, if you are the son of God." Okay, are you following me so far? I haven't made a major point yet. I'm, I'm just I'm I'm setting the stage for this. Jesus never debates. He only states it is written. He quotes scripture. The devil's quoting scripture too. He's twisting it, but he's quoting scripture. And in verse 14, then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit of Galilee to Galilee, and news of him went throughout all the surrounding region. And then he went into the synagogue. <coughs> and then as of his what is his practice, and he opened the scroll, and he read from Isaiah 61. <coughs> Verse, Luke four eighteen, 18, Revelation 2 1. And he read, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are being oppressed. And to proclaim the supper you are the Lord. And then he closed the book and gave it back to the tenant and sat down. And the eyes of all were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Okay? Now, we're going to kind of fast because I'm not going to go into a lot of detail of everything that's being said here. Okay? Jesus was just publicly announced by God in chapter 3, and then in chapter 3, that he was the son of God. Jesus was just anointed, baptized in water, and baptized with the Holy Spirit Okay? Jesus then demonstrated his righteousness in a face-to-face demonstration with the devil with at least three temptations that we know of. Jesus then goes into the synagogue and reads from Isaiah 61 that we just talked about right here. And I'm not going to reread it right now. Okay? He just read this. Then Jesus claims, the Spirit of God is on me. See when he read this in Isaiah, he said, "The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anoint me to preach the gospel <clears throat> to the poor, <clears throat> to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to those who are captives of blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the suffering of the Lord." Jesus, by reading this and declaring that this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, he's claimed that the Spirit of the Lord is on me to help you. I can summarize a lot of those things. We can go into a lot of detail, and that is a very important study, and we have gone into that, the detail. But Jesus claims, I'm here to help you. I'm here to deliver you. I'm here to set you free. Okay? And then he closed the book and gave it back to the and sat down. That's key. We're going to come back to that. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in the hearing. As you read the, as you continue to read the story, we probably get to verse thirty-two, and they, and they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with, with power. Je- again, I want to re- re- reiterate some things. Jesus was just publicly announced by God to be the Son of God. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit. He had a, he demonstrated his righteousness with a face-to-face confrontation with the devil. See, sinlessness trumps strength. Sinlessness will always. Trump sin sinlessness will always trump the devil, okay? Because if you don't have sin, the devil has no inroad in your life. Are you following me? Okay. Jesus then goes into the synagogue, reads from Isaiah, and sits down. Jesus is announcing by reading Isaiah. He hasn't started his ministry yet. <coughs> he got baptized. He got declared by God that he's the Son of God. He goes into the wilderness confronts the devil. After all that, he comes to the synagogue and he's read from the synagogue before but he hadn't started his ministry yet. And Jesus announced the beginning of his ministry. See in all four Gospels we have recorded what Jesus did throughout his ministry to fulfill Isaiah 61. He mentioned several sayings in Isaiah 61 that the Spirit of the Lord has anointed him to do. And in all four Gospels we read The ministry of Jesus, what he did to fulfill Isaiah 61 one that he just read. Are you following me so far? And most of Jesus' ministry consisted of Jesus' teaching and healing. He did some other things. He did some miracles. But the majority of Jesus' ministry was teaching and healing. And throughout Jesus' ministry, people came to hear the word of God. People came by the thousands to hear him speak and to be healed. Are you following me? This is key. This is why Jesus. This is what Jesus did in his ministry for three and a half years, and this is what people. This is why people walked. They didn't drive. They might rode a horse, at best. They didn't even have trains then. They didn't have stagecoaches, as far as I know. Okay, they might had a chariot. That's probably about the fastest you can get around back then. Philip was chandelier, but that's going to be a few years later. But they came to be... Why did they come? They came to hear the Word. And they came to be healed. And there's some towns, Jesus healed the whole town. Why? Because the Word does the work. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to puff it up. The Word does Will heal you. The Word will set you free. The world is alive. It works. The Word will transform your life. See, even as a pastor, and not just a pastor, but we can see the difference when someone is in the Word. I can tell when someone's been in the Word, and I can tell when someone's not been in the Word. It's like grass. I can tell when the grass has been watered, and I can tell when the grass has not been watered. I can tell when the roses are wilting, and I can tell when they are just vibrant. I can You can tell when someone's being watered by the Word. It's like grass. You can tell if it's, if it's brown or if it's green. You can just tell those who have been in the Word. Why is this true? See, Jesus just claimed, there's a spirit in the Spirit Lord on me to help you to deliver you to set you free to bless you the law is good and we talked about that but the law can't make you holy the law can't make you good the law reveals your sin okay that's necessary but it's not necessarily a good thing okay? it is a good thing so you know you need a savior and the law wasn't written for the righteous it was written for the ungodly okay? But let's change the story for just for a moment. I'm going to bring, come back to some of these things. In Mark chapter 2, we have where Jesus healed the paralytic. Well, remember his four friends? He rode them down to, in the middle of the house where Jesus was preaching. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say. <coughs> and I ask you the same question. Which is easier to say? To the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Other arise, take up your bed and walk. Verse 10. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And immediately he arose, took up his bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. So, again, I can keep asking the same question. Why? Why were they amazed? Why? Did he have power to heal and also power to forgive. Because he asked the question, what's easier, to forgive? Or to say, rise and walk? Back then, it seemed like it was easier to, it was easier to say, rise and walk, than it was to forgive sins. To us today, we think it's easier to say, your sins are forgiven, than to say, rise and walk. But no matter which era you are in, Jesus is making a very valid point here. Both are easy. Because both took place at the cross. See, forgiveness is the birthplace for healing. Healing is a function of forgiveness. Back in my high school days, I saw someone with a withered hand get healed because they forgave their their mother about something. That's a whole other story. I'm not going to go in that direction right now. But why did Jesus have authority to forgive sins? Because Jesus was righteous. Bear with me. okay? God revealed who he was. The Son of God. He anointed him with his spirit. Jesus demonstrated that power face to face with the devil over three temptations. God gave him his commission in Isaiah 61 to of the Lord is upon me to do uh, several things. And then Jesus sat down. Why did Jesus sit down? Because everything that happened from Luke chapter 3 to Luke chapter 4, you can't change it. Everything God said about who he was, everything that he was being filled with the Holy Spirit, Everything that that Isaiah 61 said that he was anointed to do, nobody can change that. He read it and sat down. In other words, Jesus would say, this is my purpose. This is my calling. This is my destiny. And you can't change it. And it doesn't matter if we believe it or don't believe it in one sense of the word. Because you can't change it. It's helpful for you to believe it. But... Your belief doesn't change it whether it's so or not. It might change whether it's so in your life. Or that you can experience the manifestation and the revelation of that in your life. But it doesn't change the truth. Your opinion does not change truth. You knowing the truth can set you free. But it can't change truth. Truth is, truth is not based on a boat. It's either true or it's false. Okay? In other words... Jesus said, I have authority now to forgive sins and also to heal. It says, going back to Mark, but that you may know that the Son of Man, Jesus, has the power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I said you rise, take up your bed, and go to your house. See, when you talk about power, you have to begin with the idea of identity. This is where I'm kind of going with this. I'm talking about identity. I'm talking about who we are now. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you will have a very hard time demonstrating the power of God. I want to say this is a major point I'm making right now. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you will have a very hard time dem- demonstrating the power of God. In your life and in other people's lives. We're all able ministers of the New Covenant, according to 2 Corinthians 3.6. Not just me because I'm a pastor. We are all able ministers of the New Covenant. And you will have a very hard time demonstrating the power of God if you don't know who you are in Christ. Why? You must know who you are. Jesus knew who he was. You must understand righteousness and be established in it. See, from righteousness is birth authority. And from authority is birth faith. Paul said it this way for whatever is not of faith is sin. See, it begins with knowing who you are, it begins knowing your identity. I teach so much on this, but it's so key in knowing who you are. See, the just, the righteous, he lives by his faith. I mentioned that at the beginning. And I'm hoping you're able to connect the dots. And I'm trying to, to, to portray not only today, but the last eight weeks. Going back to Jesus in Luke chapter 3. <coughs> and the Holy Spirit descended and bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. That's what God said about Jesus. But who are we? That's who Jesus is. That's, how, who, that's who God pronounced, who Jesus was. But who are we? If we're born again, who are we? What family have we been adopted into? John said it this way: behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God. There's something we're supposed to behold. We are the children of God. We are born again. We are the children of God. We are born again. I I, I, I said that in my notes. And we are born of God. We are born of the spirit of the living God who has anointed us to preach the gospel. What spirit have we been baptized into? The spirit of the living God. The same spirit Jesus was baptized. We have the same identity as Jesus. We have the same anointing as Jesus. We have the same authority as Jesus. We have the same Father as Jesus. But most of us don't know who we are. Now, am I saying we're Jesus? No. He's the firstborn of many brothers. Jesus is on the inside of We have been born of his seed, though. 1 Peter 1.23 says we are born again not of a corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the enduring word of God. We've been born of his seed. We've been adopted in his seed. We've been redeemed. We've been born again. We've been grafted in to Jesus. The just lives by his faith and anything that's not a faith of sin. Am I saying the law is sin? No. But you try to justify yourself by the law it's sin. Okay? Now let's switch gears. Matthew 12, 29. This is a key reference that I'm going to go into right now. I said almost everything I said to get to this passage of Scripture here. This is the main part that I'm deviating from my normal notes right here. It says this. Or how can one enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man, and then he will plunder his house? And you're like, Dave, what does that have to do with anything that we're talking about? It has everything to do with it. First of all, let's ask a question. Let's read it again first. Or how can we enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods? Who's a strong man? Satan. What is his house? The earth. See, it says, oh, how can you enter into a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house? See, many sincere Christians have taken this verse and gotten very goofy about it. Hocus pocus type stuff. I know that might offend some people. I'm not trying to offend you, I'm trying to help you. <laughs> okay, see, many sincere Christians have constantly gone around binding, binding Satan. I bind you, Satan. I bind you, Satan. I bind you, Satan. They've gone around saying, I, the, I plead the blood of Jesus over this. I plead the blood of Jesus over that. I plead the blood of Jesus over this. I'm not trying to offend anybody, but this has gone around, especially in the charismatic movement. But did Jesus do that? Did Jesus go around, I bind you, Satan, I bind you, with the three with the three temptations, did he do that? Did he go around, I plead my, the blood of me, I plead the blood of me, I plead the blood of me? Did he do that? Did Jesus do this? Then why are we doing something different? Why are we doing something different that Jesus did not do? He did not teach, Paul did not teach. Why are we doing that? Did Jesus go around, I bind you, Satan. I bind you, Satan. Did he go around, I plead the blood of me, I plead the blood of me. Sorry, I said that before my notes. No, It says here, Or how can one enter to a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strawman man and then he will plunder his house? We need to first ask the question, What loose, Satan, or the straw man in the earth to begin with? What loose, him? If we're going to bind him, what loosed him? Sin. Sin loosed Satan. <clears throat> and if sin loosed Satan to become the God of this world, see, one of the temptations that, that Satan did with, with Jesus in the wilderness, Satan claimed to be the God of this world, and Jesus, Jesus did not refute that. He refuted the temptation, but he did not refute the claim that he was God of this world. Because he is God. He was. He is. If sin loosed him to become the God of this world, if sin gave Satan dominion in that inroad in our life, what is the opposite of sin? Righteousness. But now, the righteousness of God is revealed, is manifested. See, sin loosed him, but righteousness binds him. I got this backwards in my notes. For by one man's offense death reigned. How did Satan get loose because of one man's offense called sin? But much more those who receive the abundant grace and in it get the get, get the righteous will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Sin gave, <coughs> excuse me, sin gave Satan power to establish the kingdom of darkness. Sin gave Satan the power to kill, and to steal, and to destroy. But anyone who is without sin immediately finds the darkness. Light is stronger than darkness. Love is stronger than hate. Life is stronger than death. How do you expel darkness out of the room? Have you ever been in a dark room and turned on the light? The light is stronger. The light doesn't say, I bind you, darkness. I bind you. You just turn on the light and the darkness flees. It expels the darkness. Anyone who is without sin immediately binds the darkness. Anyone who is without sin immediately binds the strong man. Jesus is the only one who is without sin. But he became our propitiation. Everything we've been talking about the last seven weeks. That he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God in him. Let's go back to Matthew. Or, how can one enter to a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he can plunder his house? Jesus said, We cannot plunder the strong man until we first bind him and we have no evidence of Jesus doing what many of us do in buy, trying to bind Satan. Are you following me? I'm not trying to pick on anybody. I'm trying to preach the truth. If sin gives Satan dominion, righteousness binds. So again, what binds Satan? What is the antidote to sin? Righteousness. Jesus was binding the devil just by being who he was. Because Jesus was the righteous God in himself. We are the righteous God in him. We are not the righteous God outside of him. We are in the righteous God in him. And Jesus was the righteous God in himself. Jesus was the Son of God. Even his presence caused demons to tremble and to scream. You can walk into any so-and-so haunted house, and devil because Jesus, who's in you, is there. You don't have to do hocus-pocus. You just have to show up. Who are we? For he who knew no sin became sin that we might become that we might be born of, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. If we've been born again, who are we? We're the righteousness of God in Him. What family have we been adopted into? Him, His family. We are the children of God. We are born of God. We are the righteousness of God. What spirit have we been baptized into? The spirit of the living God. We have the same identity, the same anointing, the same authority. Jesus did not do hocus pocus. He did not go. I, the, the blood of me, the blood of me, the blood of me. I bind you, Satan, I bind you, Satan, I bind you, Satan. Jesus became over sin because he was righteous. And Jesus healed the sick because he was righteous. Jesus calmed the sea because he was righteous. Jesus calmed the storm because he was righteous. Jesus walked in water because he was righteous. Nothing could stop Jesus because he was righteous. Righteousness binds to Satan. It's not what you do. It is who you know you are. It's who you are. But if you don't know who you are, Satan will deceive you and it won't work. Okay? It's who you know you are. Know who you are. We call call ourselves born again Christians and we don't act like it. We don't function like it. We act like nothing happened. That is Antichrist. I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm saying it's to help us. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. But the truth can't set you free if you don't know the truth. We need to know. To the degree we understand righteousness, we begin to walk in power and authority. And the world is crying out for it. Look at the movies. The superheroes. All the hot Harry Potter type stuff. They're, at, they're looking for the supernatural. We have it. Our whole born-again nature is supernatural. Binding the devil is not a war dance. Binding the devil is a revelation of righteousness. Isaiah says this way In righteousness you shall be established. You shall be far from oppression, for you shall not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come near you. Verse 17 <coughs> No weapon formed against you shall prosper, and every tongue which is rising up in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. In Isaiah, God says the whole way that you overcome the enemy is righteousness. Be established in it. I don't need to work up myself into some frenzy. I need to know who I am in Christ. Righteousness binds him and righteousness spoils him or plunders his house. We haven't gotten to that part yet. If you know who you are, you can bind Satan. And if you know you who you are, you can spoil his house. But before I go there, no, let's go to Hebrews real quick. But this man, after he sat down, had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, and sat down. He sat down at the beginning of his ministry, and he sat down after he finished his ministry, at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. I want to read this again. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. God revealed who Jesus was in Luke chapter 3 at the baptism waters of John when he received the Holy Spirit and he was anointed with his spirit. Jesus demonstrated that power face-to-face with the devil in at least three temptations. God then gave him his commission as he read in Isaiah 61 and after he read from Isaiah 61 his commission, he sat down. Jesus sat down at the beginning of his ministry, his earthly ministry and he sat down at the completion of his ministry and his majesty and on high. Waiting until his enemies are made his footstool. And while Jesus, see, when Jesus on His earthly ministry, He delegated authority. He sent out the twelve two by twos. He sent out the seventy two by two. Go heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out (coughs) devils. He delegated authority. You know, I've watched a lot of Western movies, and sometimes the sheriff who had the the authority in the town, would sometimes have deputies. And we would delegate authority to as he deputized different people. Jesus delegated authority in his earthly ministry, but we're talking about, but now. But now, we have inherited authority. We've inherited. We are children of God. Does that mean anything to you? Does that mean anything to us? Who we are! We should be dancing, not a war dance, but a happy dance. Okay? Because as believers, Jesus is living inside of us. We have his fullness, and most of us act like it's not true. We're asking, we're waiting for God to do something, and he's sitting on the inside of us, it's like, we're going to do something. He's not waiting. We're not waiting for him. He's waiting for us to know who we are. We have authority because he sat down. And when he sat down, the deal was done. It was finished. As far as what he's gonna do. Now, he but now he wants to manifest some things in and through us, his church. Who he has redeemed to be kings and priests to reign on the earth. Revelation chapter th- uh, 5, verses 9 and 10. Let's go back to Matthew real quick. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man and then he will plunder his house? Let's talk about, let's do some plundering. Okay? Let's take this passage. Let's go to Luke real quick. Luke chapter 11, verse 21, it says, And when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. Verse 22, But when a stronger than he comes upon him, and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted, and divides his spoils. Luke says it a lot differently, but the same connotation is here. So let's 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 ask our question. We're talking right now we switched gears. We're talking about plundering his goods or his spoils, okay? What are his goods? What are the goods of the strong man's house, Satan's house? Everything we lost in the fall. Everything we lost in the fall is supposed to be ours. His goods include your identity. It includes your authority. It includes your blessing. It includes your purpose. It includes your faith. It includes your peace. It includes your joy. It includes your health. See, we lost all these goods when Adam sinned. And Satan has been ruling over us over these goods that belong to us. But when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he trusted, and he devised his spoils. See, everyone who has been born of the lineage of Adam has no authority to take back the goods. Basically, what I'm saying, anyone who's not born again, because if you're still in Adam, you're not in Christ. You cannot be in Christ and in Adam at the same time. No, you're either born again or you're not. Whatever is flesh is flesh. Whatever is spirit is spirit. I'm talking from John chapter three right now. But whoever still from the lineage of Adam has no authority to take back goods. So someone else had to come. Someone else has come. Second Corinthians says this way: For he who knew no sin to be sent for us that we might become. The righteous of God. Jesus came. We're celebrating Christmas right now. He came to be to become our sin. He crucified it. He buried it, and he rose again. He was raised for justification. Romans four twenty five. And he sat down on the right hand of God until he made his enemies his footstool. Jesus lived legally able to take back our. God. Because it says here, but when a stronger man then he comes, who's the stronger one? Jesus. But he says, but it also talks about his armor. He takes from him all his armor. What's his armor? What's his drumming armor? Lies. The law. We talked about that at length in the series. So he uses the law. You can look at even read Colossians 2, 1 2, uh, 11-15 you can read about that and there's some other scriptures that we have in our series condemnation, because Allah is a ministry of condemnation, fear or his armor. okay, but let's look at these real quick, I, I, sorry fear didn't go on the screen yet let's go back and look real quick, but when a stronger than he comes from him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his honor, and which she trusted and divides his spoil. But because these four things are true, we can actually change the word. And it would be true. And we change the word for armor. for In other words, Jesus replaced lies with the truth. Jesus replaced the law with his grace. Jesus replaced the ministry of condemnation with the ministry of righteousness. Jesus replaced fear with faith because the just lives by his faith. We never see Jesus verbally binding any strong man. Did he cast out devils? Yes, and he did that verbally. He told us to do likewise. But it wasn't a war dance. It wasn't hocus pocus. He simply said it, and it was done. But when a stronger man than him comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all the armor in which he trusted. That Satan trusted his lies. He trusted the fear. He even trusted the law to do it. But when he overcame him, he did that. Colossians says that he nailed the law to the cross. Is the law bad? No, but it's fulfilled. You know, there's been times when we've had debt, like we have a car right now. We paid it off earlier this year. We don't keep sending the, the bank payments on the car. Why? Because it's fulfilled. Was the debt was the debt uh, invalid? No, it was valid. It's still valid. It's still in the books. Okay. But it's paid in full. We got the pink slip. We got the title of the car. Because we paid in full. It did not mean we didn't really have debt. It did not mean that somewhere in the books that that the bank didn't own the car. They did own the car, but now we own the car. We don't keep making payments because it's paid in full. Jesus, and then, but, and so, and then uh, Jesus said, and he divided his spoils. Again, what are the spoils? The spoils is everything we lost. We lost all those goods when Adam sinned. And we come now freely to his throne of grace and receive all that we lost. See, our identity has been restored. Our authority has been restored. Our purpose has been restored. Our health has been restored. Our blessing has been restored. Our peace has been restored. Our joy has been restored. Our faith has been restored. The root has been changed and the fruit of righteousness has been restored in our life. And Proverbs says it this way. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. Yet Jesus constantly spoils out. Jesus never verbally, he didn't (coughs) Jesus didn't go around by the blood of me, by the blood of me, by the blood of me. He didn't go around doing all the stuff. He just showed up. He, spo- he spoiled his house. Every time someone gets born again, he spoiled his house. Every time someone gets healed, he spoiled his house. Every time his King Jesus' kingdom is coming, his will is being done on this earth, we're spoiling his house. Jesus healed and delivered the press by his word. Most of Jesus' ministry was healing, was preaching the word and healing. is not not true. One of the number one reasons why the religious leaders wanted to kill Jesus is because he was healing people on the Sabbath. And Jesus was actually spoiled in his house. That's a whole other message. I'll get into that later in their teaching this year. But binding and spoiling the straw man is not a verbal assault. Binding and spoiling the straw man is a confident assurance of who we are. Jesus did not have to debate with the devil. He just had to proclaim what was legally his because of righteousness. See, when you understand righteousness, healing, getting your needs met, blessing others. There's so many different aspects of sal- salvation, again, is wholeness, healing, prosperity, deliverance. It's your legal right. If you, ask, for example, you know, we don't see this so much in our culture here in the West, but in some other cultures they have a king, and a king does not have to ask rights from, from the enemy or from other people to whatever he wants. If he wants dinner, if he wants this or that, he wants this soldier to go there. He wants this. Or, he just says the word and it happens. The centurion said that to Jesus. I understand authority. If I just tell one of my men to do this, it's done. Okay? If they don't obey the centurion, that can be a capital offense. If you didn't hail the king like you should hail the king, that can be a capital offense. The the king doesn't have to ask permission. We are kings and priests to reign on the earth. We've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus to be kings and priests. But don't we need permission? Yes, we do need permission. And Jesus already commissioned us to go heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons. He's already commissioned us to preach the gospel. He is our king. And we are the king. He's the king of all kings because we're all kings of priests. And we have permission. <laughs> we have not just delegated authority. We have inherited authority to go and heal the sick. Why can we heal the sick? Because Jesus said we can. But we are we're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And every knee shall bow to his. Soul. We have been baptized into the name of Jesus. And every knee must bow to that name. When we understand who we are, we have authority. And binding this the triumphing in the is a confident assurance of who we are. You don't have to do hocus-pocus. You just need to know who you are. And But if, if the devil knows that you don't know who you are, if the devil knows, can see that you are not confident in assurance about who you are, he's just going to just continue to lie to you. He's going to continue to deceive you. He's going to continue to use fear and condemnation. He's going to use his, uh, his armory that he has trusted in for thousands of years. Say Jesus has... Jesus, the stronger one, has already spoiled his house. He's already bound him. But if we don't know that, some of us us have more faith in the devil than we do Jesus. Because we talk about him more than we do Jesus. We keep talking about what the devil, the devil's done this, the devil's done that, the devil's done this. And we don't talk about Jesus at all. Some of us talk more about Satan than we do about Jesus, and the devil loves that because that's what he wants. He wants to be worshipped like that. To the devil, that's worship. Because you are trusting him more than you're trusting your God. It's worship. You might not look it like that. That might not be your intention. That might not be your motive. You might, you might be thinking to do good in the name of spiritual warfare, but you're actually losing the battle by doing that because you're deceived. Jesus already won the battle. He already bound the strong man. And it's time to plunder his house. Because we are the rights of God, Satan must flee. Because we are the rights of God, the sick can be healed. The oppressed can be delivered. We are free to spoil his house. We are free to set the Catholics free. But now, the righteous God, apart from the law, is revealed, is manifested. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets. How beautiful are the mountains of the feet of him who brings us good news. Who proclaims peace. Who brings glad tidings of good things. Who proclaims salvation and declares to Zion, your God. For by one man's offense, death reigned through the one. Much more, those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign through the one, Jesus Christ. I hope this has made sense as I've talked about. But now, my heart is that we are establishing righteousness. Because no weapon <coughs> formed against you shall prosper. Because your inheritance is the the righteousness of God that's from him. Folks, when, when we know who we are, we can heal the sick. We can calm the storm. We can get a coin in the fish's mouth to pay our taxes. We can say, cast your net on the other side of the boat. And for Peter, that was his payday. Okay, we can do things. We can speak to the fig tree. We can do so we can do exploits. We can Satan has stolen so much from us for generations. And it's time because Jesus has already bound the strong man and he's already taken away his armory. It's time for us to plunder his house. It's time for us to heal the sick and set the captives free. Isaiah 61 applies to us. It's time for us to heal the brokenhearted. It's time for us to, 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 to set the captive. There are people who are captive to sickness, people who are captive to poverty, people who are captive <coughs> to addictions of various kinds, people who are just perishing because of our gospel is veiled. Is veiled to those who are perishing. But We need to behold who we are. We need to be so established in who we are in Christ and righteous that we can... We are victorious! We are not trying to get victory. We are fighting from victory. In other words, when you read the book of Ephesians, especially chapter 2, you'll find out we start, when we are born again, we start from a place of victory. We are born into victory. You know, it's a lot easier to... Uh, resist the devil when you're already victorious versus trying to get into the house to begin with to, be, to take over. In other words, if the kingdom is here and it is, Jesus said the kingdom is not there, the kingdom is not there, the kingdom of God is within you. It's a lot easier to protect the kingdom than it is to overtake and uh, a place so that you you can establish the kingdom. Jesus already took the kingdom. Jesus already took the keys of the kingdom. Jesus Jesus even said in the book of Luke, It's to my Father's pleasure to give you the kingdom. We don't have to try to acquire the kingdom. We just need to know who we are and manifest the kingdom. It's a big difference. We don't have to try to overcome what Satan's already overtaken. We just need to receive it. We can demand it. In the name of Jesus. Not through hocus pocus, but by believing with confidence and assurance who we are. Because the just lives by his faith. Satan already knows it's yours. But what Satan knows is that you don't know that. And if Satan knows that you don't know that, he's going to keep lying to you. And he's going to keep acting like he is still the God of this age. But you are kings and priests to reign on the earth. And if he knows that you're deceived, he's going to keep taking advantage of you. For example, when Abraham Lincoln freed all the slaves, the slaves didn't have necessary access to the news. It was up to the slave owners to tell the slaves that you're free. It's just some of the slave owners didn't pass the news. And so they kept being in bondage when they were already freed by their king, their president, Abraham Lincoln. But it wasn't until they found out, however they found out, when they found out, that they knew that they were free. In other words, they were held hostage until they got the news. And so Satan is keeping some of us hostage when and he has no right to keep us hostage. But until you know who you are, you will not going to see freedom. And not only can you have freedom for yourself, but you can transform your village, your town, your community... In the name of Jesus. The early disciples turned the world upside down for Jesus. They didn't have internet, they didn't have Wi Fi, they didn't have uh, Zoom, they didn't have Facebook, they didn't have it, but they turned the world upside down for Jesus. They wrote letters. Okay? Maybe some of us need to get back to letter writing. But at the same point in time, we have, if you have Jesus, you have everything. Stop with excuses. We don't need excuses. We need to teach Jesus, teach the gospel. Wherever we are, in season and out of season, we need to stop going with this combat. We need to stop playing this whole cowboys and Indians with the devil. We are victorious and we have authority. And Satan must bow. But you need to know who you are, you need to be established. In righteousness. Next week, we're going to, it's Christmas, and we're going to be having a meeting, teaching on great tidings of great joy, really, which is the gospel all over again. Because great tidings of good joy is is the gospel. And we're going to be talking about Jesus came to set us free. Jesus is the stronger man who came to bind the enemy to spoil his house. I'm not going to necessarily be teaching on that specifically next week. But I'm tying next week's message into this week's message right now because it this, See, when righteousness is the foundation of the throne, when you have righteousness, you can teach righteousness in any teaching if it's the foundation right. If the core teaching, if the core message is right, you can't. See, every te- we might talk about finances, we might talk about this or that, or marriage, or fa- family, or parenting, or whatever. But we can talk about any of those topics when the foundation's right. When the core message is right, you're going to see the core message being in the... You're going to see it fabricated in every message. Uh, So I can teach on any message and still teach on righteousness, still teach the gospel. But when I focus on spiritual warfare or prayer, and I'm not focused on the gospel, I will take prayer and spiritual warfare... To a whole different religious aspect that is not even gospel. It's anti-gospel. It's antichrist. We not we we not, might not mean it that way. That might not be our intention. We mean to do good. We we do it all good intents. But I mean, no, you can be sincerely wrong. You can be sincere but sincerely wrong. And we need to know who we are when we know we have. See, we still believe in prayer. But I I used to be I used to be calling prayer. Right? Look at my if you if you look at my. Uh, high school annuals, especially with my senior and junior year, a little bit of my sophomore year, you'll see people knew me as a prayer warrior. And we saw things. You know, I do believe this. Let me just I've been I, I a 30, so I had a few minutes. So I don't, that's very rare. I thought I was going to go over today. But I believe, you know, Jesus many times says, let it be according to your faith. God will meet you where your faith is at. At the same point in time, if you're if your foundation is totally wrong, it's not that like your, your your faith is wrong or he or even God's wrong. It's just you're believing the wrong thing, so it's not gonna work. You're believing what you're doing, you're believing in your prayer, you're believing in your prayer worry worry-ness. you're believing in your title, you're believing in what you're doing, you're not believing in Jesus. That's wrong. That's why it's not working. Because your faith is in you. Your faith is in what you're doing, not in what Jesus did. That's why it's not working. You can be sincerely right. And be you can be sincere, but to be sincerely wrong. Your intent is pure, but your your means is wrong. For example, Sherry's a good cook, but if she doesn't put the right right ingredients in it, how sincere she was, it's not going to come out the same. It just won't work. Okay, and so uh, it, and so you have to you have to do things the right way, otherwise it just won't work. It it, it just won't come out the same. And so, um, I hope I'm saying a lot of different things. I'm still. I'm big on prayer. But my prayers are shorter. Jesus didn't pray long prayers. Jesus had authority. We have authority. And our prayer our, the results of our prayers can be different. Okay? Am I making sense? Uh, when we know we, who we are, the devil must bow. And we're going to teach next week about there's great tidings and great joy. Folks, we have something to be joyful about. I understand things are going around like COVID. I understand that we're in the last days. But the, the, and every apostle who wrote a letter in the New Testament told us the last days are going to be horrible. We know this. Yet the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, the message of the gospel, there's no reason why we have to be downcast. There's no reason why we have to be down and frustrated. We have the message that will set everyone free. We know how it ends. We might lose a few battles, but we won the war. We already won the war. We know how this game ends. And yet we can, if we start believing what I'm teaching right now, we can start having revival like we never saw. Because we're going to see people healed like fly, like, like there's no tomorrow. I don't even know what I just said. But it just, uh, you know, <coughs> I keep, I used to say people are just flopping like flies. We're just going to be healing like uh, I don't even know. I'm just going to be hopping like grasshoppers. I don't even know if I'm saying this right. I should probably just be in it. But it's just, we can heal the sick. And we have seen people healed in this church. We have seen people healed of cancer. We have seen people healed from different diseases of oppression. We have seen people healed in this church of different addictions like homosexuality and, and drugs and whatnot. We have seen people healed. I, I will say, even with this church, we have not seen enough. We need to see more. and Because everyone who came to Jesus came to hear the word of God and to get healed. Folks, we have the answer. We have the answer. We have the answer. And But if the, if the answer we're trying to give people is not grounded in righteousness, more likely we are giving them the wrong answer. It's like cherry cooking a good recipe, but it's missing the main ingredient. It's missing the main ingredient. It might have all the other right ingredients, ingredients, but it doesn't have the main ingredient, which is called Jesus. And so, we can't leave that out. If the message or the ministry we're doing is without Jesus, then it's just tradition. And Jesus said, by your traditions, you make the word of God of no effect. Lord I, we worship you we magnify you Lord I this is my the message that you have so branded in my heart that I want people to get it I want people to be so established in righteousness I can't make them established I can only preach your word and I don't know how well y'all have done with this but Lord you are the teacher Holy Spirit you are the teacher you now teach those who have listened, those who have been sincere in the listening, teach them the importance of righteousness. Teach them the importance of everything i tried trying to teach, not only this morning, but the last eight weeks. Help us as a church in these last days to be established in righteousness. Established in your love. Be established in who we are. So that we can be the church of the living God in these days. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. And we'll see. We don't have Bibles here tonight. Uh, we'll see you next week. Okay. Merry Christmas.